Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. The countries of Egypt, Lebanon, Jordan, Syria, Iraq, Iran, just to name a few, often strike terror in our hearts when we hear the names of those countries. Yes, they often strike terror, pun intended. And it's unfortunate because these places of the world were once great centers of faith, both Judaism and, in particular, Christianity. In particular, Syria. We hear a lot about Syria in the news today, and it's always bad. It's always about fighting and the war. But Syria was a great, great fertile area of Christianity. Many things that happened in the history of Christianity happened in these countries, in this part of the world. Good things, great things, saints, monasticism, the liturgies came out of Syria. Syria made a huge contribution to Christianity. And maybe, at least this is how I reconcile all this mess that we hear in these countries now, I reconciled it in my own mind by saying to myself, maybe it's precisely because these were such holy lands that the evil one brings so much heartache and hate and disaster to these very lands. It's the only way I can reconcile it. Why? Why would countries that once were filled with so much holiness now be filled with so much bloodshed, violence, and hate and division? To me, that's the only way it can be explained. The devil is always going to be where something is most important, most precious. He's going to work very hard there. The message I want to bring to you on this program, like the East, is that these places are not just to be places of fear and terror. We have to revisit their contribution to Christianity, especially to Eastern Christianity. In fact, even recently, the Joint International Commission for Theological Dialogue between the Orthodox Church and the Roman Catholic Church was held this past September, just a few weeks ago, 15th to 23rd, in Amman, Jordan a city with a long history related to Christianity, but one of those, again, that we hear about in the news in not a very complimentary way. Nothing against these countries, just that we always hear about the turmoil, the disturbance, or the potential turmoils, the, the potential terrorist hotspots and so on of these areas. Well, the meeting happened, and this is an important meeting, the Joint International Commission for Theological Dialogue Between Orthodox and Roman Catholics. And they meet from time to time, and they work on documents. They work on very high levels to try to bring about reunion between the Orthodox and the Roman Catholic Church. And just to highlight a few things from this meeting, this is a, the communique that came out of this meeting. Again, it was this past September. 
It says that at the opening plenary session held on Wednesday, the 17th of September, in Maktas, the baptism site of Jesus Christ, the commission was warmly welcomed by the host, his beatitude, Patriarch Theophilus III, who emphasized, quote, There can be no genuine dialogue without the presence and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. For it is the Holy Spirit that leads us into all truth. And of course, he's quoting there John 16.3. In response, the two co-presidents of the commission expressed their thanks for the hospitality offered by the Patriarch of Jerusalem and underlined the difficult situation in the Middle East and the importance of holding this meeting in Amman, Jordan. Now, on Saturday the 20th of September, the Catholic members celebrated the Eucharist in the parish of Our Lady of Nazareth, presided over by Cardinal Kurt Koch. You know, it's unfortunate, and of course, that's the whole point of these sessions together, these ecumenical sessions. We cannot celebrate Eucharist together with each other. It's just sad, isn't it? Very sad. And that's, of course, what this program, Light of the East, is about, trying to bring joy back where sadness has reigned for far too long. Now, in his homily, the cardinal said that Christians are already united in many ways, and most especially in the martyrdom of our brothers and sisters belonging to different churches and ecclesial communions. Then later, a dinner was offered by Archbishop Giorgio Lingua, Apostolic Nuncio in Jordan and Iraq. Now, Apostolic Nuncio, of course, is the Pope's presence, the Pope's representative in respective countries. We have one here in the United States as well. He's in Washington, D.C., Now, on Sunday, the 21st of September, the Orthodox members celebrated the Divine Liturgy in the Cathedral of the Entry of Christ to the Temple of the Greek Orthodox Patriarch of Jerusalem. The celebration was presided over by Metropolitan Chrysostomus of Messenia in the presence of the Catholic members. In addressing those present, Metropolitan Benedictus of Philadelphia conveyed his warm welcome to the commission members attending the Divine Liturgy in this historical church and asked to pray for a peaceful coexistence of all Christians and religious communities in the suffering region. During the afternoon, the members paid a visit to the Church of the Map and Mount Nebo. Now, on the first day of the meeting, as is customary, the Roman Catholic and Orthodox members met separately to coordinate their work. The Orthodox meeting discussed, among other things, the draft text produced by the Coordinating Committee in 2012, and that was in Paris, France. On synodality and primacy, as it was mandated by the 12th Joint Commission in Vienna, the Catholic meeting also considered the draft, seeking specific ways to improve the text and respond to methodological concern. Now, because of the many questions raised about the text, the commission decided to draft a new text, which was then discussed and revised in detail. The commission decided the text be referred to the next coordinating committee for further elaboration and improvement in view of the next plenary session of the Joint Commission. So it sounds like not a whole lot was done by our standards, things we'd like to see, but nonetheless, it was still very valuable for these people to come together, these representatives of the church, East and West. Now, the community also says, to underline the sense of solidarity with the suffering people of the region, on Saturday the 20th, the co-presidents, accompanied by other members of the commission, visited a refugee center in Amman, where they experienced firsthand the urgent needs of the refugees and listened to the sad stories behind their tragic situation. The meeting of the Joint Commission was marked by a spirit of friendship and trustful collaboration. The members greatly appreciate the generous hospitality of the host church, and they strongly commend the continuing work of the dialogue to the prayers of the faithful. Again, this is a communique from the Joint International Commission between the Roman Catholic Church, 
the Orthodox Church, one of the highest levels of ecumenical dialogue between the Orthodox Churches of the East and the Roman Catholic Church. And again, this happened in Amman, Jordan. So great things still continue to happen in these areas in which we hear hardly anything but terror, war, strife, and suffering. But also, even historically, what happened in these areas, they produced tremendous amounts of saints. Yes, for instance, the example of Syria, a saint like who we celebrate this week in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. His name is Romanus the Melodist. He was born in the Syrian town of Emesa. He served as a verger, first in Beirut and then in Constantinople at the cathedral in the time of Patriarch Euphemius in the 5th century. He was illiterate with no musical training. He was despised by certain educated clergy. St. Romanus prayed weeping to the mother of God, and she appeared to him in a dream and held a piece of paper out to him and told him to swallow it. The following day was Christmas. Romanus went up to the ambu with an angelic voice saying, Today the Virgin which is, of course, the Troparion. That's the beginning of the Troparion for Christmas in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. And everyone marveled at the words of the hymn at the singer's voice, receiving thus the gift of song from the Mother of God. Romanus composed more than a thousand verses. They call them Kentakia in our church. He died as a deacon of the great church in Constantinople in 530 AD and went to join the angelic choirs in heaven. Romanus the Medalist is a well-known, revered name in the Eastern churches for his chant, for his liturgical music. And again, he was from Syria. There was also the person of St. Ephraim the Syrian, who was another great writer of liturgical poetry and chant and hymnography in the Eastern churches. There is, in other areas of this world too, such as, as I mentioned, Jordan and Egypt, people like Dionysius the Areopagite, who we're going to celebrate this week. And Dionysius is one of those mystical names, and he is a person who is known for his mysticism in the East. (laughs) So he's very worth taking a look at. And again, he comes from these areas, these areas that regrettably we only hear about in terms of strife today, in terms of Islam or Islamic extremists and hate and refugees and bloodshed. But we have to be reminded that these were areas of great holiness. In fact, even the country of Iraq. Sometimes we hear the Tigris-Euphrates rivers that run through the middle of Iraq. This is what many scholars believe was the location of the authors of the book of Genesis, the location for the Garden of Paradise. Mosul, you hear oftentimes about Mosul and all the fighting there, a very strategic town in the wars there in Iraq. There was the area of Jonah, the prophet, and the Ninevites we read about in the Bible. When we come back, we're going to talk more about the contribution of these war-torn countries to Christianity. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion, and to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright.
Glory to Jesus Christ. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loy, and I would like you to join me on the Orientale Lumen pilgrimage to Rome and Istanbul to celebrate the canonization of Popes John Paul II and John XXIII. In addition to celebrating the sainthood of two world-renowned popes, this trip will be a powerfully moving and truly unforgettable experience of the Church breathing with both lungs east and west. We will visit major religious and historical sites of the ancient Roman and Byzantine empires, and you will hear from people who actually knew these two saintly popes. I guarantee you will never see the Church the same way again, and you will be making your personal contribution toward the cause in which these two popes were committed, unity in the church between East and West. Join Father Loya Tuesday through Thursday, October 21st through October 30th for this spiritual event of a lifetime, the pilgrimage to Rome and Istanbul. Limited spaces, reserve early by going to vikingtvl.com. That's vikingtvl.com for all the details. October 21st through the 30th, sponsors Orientale Lumen Foundation and Viking Travel. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Mysticism, it keeps men sane. So said G.K. Chesterton, the famous thinker and writer of the 20th century. Hello, I'm Father Thomas J. Loya with an Eastern Christian moment. Christian mysticism actually means that which is most real. The mystical reveals and conceals all at the same time. It is life lived in the tension of paradox. God is three distinct persons, yet one God. He is the righteous judge and the lover of mankind. We come to know God precisely by that which we do not know about Him. Mysticism forms part of the particular genius of the Eastern Catholic Churches. Our church art and architecture are designed to reveal heaven and to conceal heaven, to give us an experience of heaven meeting earth. God is both transcendent and imminent all at the same time. He is uncontainable and infinite, yet was contained within the womb of a virgin. The elaborate and solemn liturgical services of the Eastern Catholic Churches provide for the worshiper a sublime experience of what keeps us all sane mysticism. To find out more about the Eastern Lung of the Church, go to easternchristianmedia.com. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyal, your host, and we're visiting these countries that we hear about in the news, but unfortunately we hear about them in terms of all that is bad that is going on there. These are the countries in the Middle East, in Jordan, in Lebanon, and Syria in particular, in Iraq, and so on. And what we're trying to communicate here is that these countries ought to be known more for the great contribution to Judaism and especially now Christianity. We left off talking about a very interesting figure, Dionysius the Areopagite. He is counted among the 70 lesser apostles. And I'm going to read from the text of the great book, this great series called the Prologue from Ogrin, also called the Synaxarian. This is a marvelous series that has meditations information about each day in the Byzantine liturgical calendar about the saint of the day. And by the way, in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, we always have at least one saint or a feast day every day. Usually there's more than one. That's not always the case in the Latin Rite liturgical calendar, but they do, of course, uh, celebrate many saints during many days, but they don't always have one for every day. Whereas Eastern churches, we have at least one saint or more for every day or a major feast day, say from the Virgin Mary, Jesus Christ, and so on. So on October 3rd is the feast day for Dionysius the Areopagite. Now that's a real mouthful, but he's counted among the 70 lesser apostles. So he goes back a ways. This wonderful man was of a noble pagan family in Athens. Finishing his education in Athens, he went to Egypt to learn more. Now, there's that country, Egypt. One day while he was there, the Lord Christ breathed his last on the cross, and the sun was dark, and it was dark in Egypt for the space of three hours. Then Dionysius cried out, 
Either God, the creator of the world, is suffering or the world is ending. Returning to Athens, he married a woman called Damaris and had sons by her. He was a member of the highest court in Greece, the Areopagus, and was always thereafter known as the Areopagite. Now, when the apostle Paul preached the gospel in Athens, Dionysius was baptized with his whole household. We read about this in Acts chapter 17, verse 34. Remember how Paul mounted the Areopagus because he knew that was a place of real prestige. And, you know, Paul was a great evangelizer. He does what we should do today. And one of the reasons why I'm behind this microphone here at Lion of the East, he wanted to get on the most aggressive, far-reaching channels possible. At that time, it meant getting to the center of the biggest cities possible and being able to preach the Word of God. Well, we do it in other ways through media nowadays. Boy, Paul would love to get his hands on media if he was around today. Paul consecrated Dionysius, bishop of Athens, and having left his wife and children and status from love of Christ, and he traveled widely with Paul, coming to know all the other apostles. Now, we just have to comment on that. Many scholars point to the fact that during the apostolic times, these times of St. Paul, men who were married, who were called to the priesthood, or became bishops, left their wives and children, not in the sense of a divorce or separation. This was something that their household agreed to, They endure this. It may have been painful in its own way, but at the same time, they did it as a sacrificial offering to Christ. They knew, as families and couples, everyone should know today, even if you're single, that first and foremost, we live for Christ. And we do not really lose each other if we lose each other in Christ, so to speak. We don't really lose one another. In fact, many scholars believe that there was a rule of what's called apostolic continence, that even if you were called to the priesthood or the episcopacy during the apostolic times, early times of the church. Even if you did not physically leave your family, as we see here with Dionysius, you were asked to remain continent. The husband and wife were asked to remain continent for for the rest of the life of the newly ordained priest or bishop. Not all scholars agree on this specifically, but many of them make great cases for this. And the reason for that was not that there's anything wrong with relations between husband and wife. Rather, it's the opposite. They're very good, and they point to the eschaton. In other words, it was that eschatological dimension that we live for Christ, and that is modeled in the way that we live. This is why they require that of ordained priests and bishops in the early church. And there's a remnant of that even in the married priesthood in the Eastern churches, where the priest and his wife are asked to abstain during certain times of the year, and even during the week. That was the custom. It's adhered to in varying degrees today, but still that was a custom. And many believe this was a remnant of the custom of continence dating back all the way to the apostolic times for those who were married, but who were called to the priesthood or the episcopacy. Okay, now back to Dionysius. He went to Jerusalem to see the Most Holy Mother of God and wrote of his meeting with her in one of his works, being at the burial of the Most Pure along with the other apostles. When his teacher, St. Paul, suffered martyrdom, Dionysius desired to die such a death himself. So he went off to Gaul to preach the gospel among the barbarians. Now, Gaul, of course, is modern-day France. He was accompanied by Rusticus, a priest, and a deacon called Eutherius. They endured much, but met with great success. By their labors, many were turned to the Christian faith, and Dionysius built a small chapel in Paris where he celebrated divine service. When he was nine years old, he was seized and tortured for Christ, together with Rusticus and Eutherius until they were all three beheaded with the sword. The severed head of St. Dionysius jumped a long way and fell in front of a Christian woman, Cotula, who buried it with his body. He suffered in the time of 
Domitian in the year 96 AD. He wrote several famous works on the names of God, on the heavenly ecclesiastical hierarchies, on mystical theology, and on the Most Holy Mother of God. See, St. Dionysius was one of those great mystics of the early church, the Eastern Church, and many of the Eastern saints wrote about from these areas we're talking about today, Egypt, Syria, Lebanon, Jordan. One of the things they wrote about was this concept of divinization. And this concept has been picked up in part by the Western longer of the church, but it originated among these great Eastern spiritual masters and fathers that came out of countries like Syria and Egypt and Greece and what is today modern-day Lebanon. Now, deification, I mean, now I'm going to refer to a great book by Thomas Speedlick. He is of blessed memory. is a deceased cardinal, Thomas Speedlick. A great book on Eastern spirituality. In fact, it's called The Spirituality of the Christian East. This is one of these must-reads for those of you interested in Eastern spirituality. He writes that every moon of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us aims at bringing us into a living communion with Christ and with the Father. In other words, at deifying us. In spite of the serious liabilities attached to it, the terminology of deification and divinization, or theosis, was to impose itself upon the fathers as capable of expressing the newness of the condition to which man had been restored through the incarnation of the Son of God. The deification of man corresponds to the man-becoming of God. It deals with a mysterious exchange by which each takes on the qualities of the other. Among Christians, Ignatius of Antioch, now there's another city for you, Antioch is today in modern-day Lebanon. Ignatius of Antioch told his correspondents that they were God-bearers, full of God. But it was left to Clement of Alexandria, now Alexandria is today modern-day Egypt, to give this doctrine adequate expression through the use of the terminology of deification. The Word of God became man in order that you may learn from man how man may become God. Now, of course, you don't mean that we become God in his essence. We'll become so much like him. After all, the Bible says we are made in God's image and likeness. That's not just poetic stuff. That's very real. We image God. We become partakers of the divine nature, as it says in Second Peter in the Bible. That's how close we are, in a sense, grafted onto God's nature. We don't become him. We don't become his essence. But become that close to him. What a marvelous origin and destiny we have as Christians. And the fathers of these now war-torn nations are the ones that gave us this insight. Athanasius, even though he clearly identified sonship and deification, took great care to note that this assimilation was not identification. It does not make us as the true God or his word, but as it has pleased God who has given us that grace. In Dionysius, Deification became part of the Neoplatonic scheme of the return to God. Maximus the Confessor made use of Aristotelian and Platonic logic and physics for his theological vision of the cosmos, the basis of which was deification, which is the fulfillment of time, of the ages, and of everything they contain. Simeon, the new theologian, insisted on the need to become conscious of this participation in the divine, and this was his new contribution. In our day, it is Eastern theologians who have made this doctrine familiar again in the West. Moreover, the sophiological or sophianic theories are also expressions of it. The language of deification expressed several themes. Man's created in the image likeness of God, adoptive sonship, the imitation of God in Christ, contemplation, charity, 
virtues, and prayer. It's a powerful word, this divinization. It's a powerful insight that we are made in the image likeness of God, that this was our origin and our destiny. And this great insight was given to us, came from the very areas of the world now that have so dour, so vicious, so unfortunate a view of the human person. But that is not what these countries were really about. This is not what their history was about. It was about a great legacy of Christianity, especially in the Eastern Lung of the Church. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.